On August 19, 2003, Sergio de Mello, the head of United Nations Mission in Baghdad, was killed along with members of his team and other civilians. We're here to look back at what happened on that Tuesday at the United Nations headquarters based at the Canal Hotel, and we'll together find who killed de Mello. seven episodes were recorded before March. We will resume recording as soon as lockdown is over. On today's episode on Who Killed DeMello, we will discuss the bombing that brought the Canal Hotel down on that Black Tuesday in 2003 and killed DeMello and 21 others. Hello, lovely people. This is Leila, your host. Thanks for joining me today on this episode on Who Killed DeMello where we'd look closely to all the details and the events of that Black Tuesday of August 19th of 2003. Around 8 in the morning, Sergio de Mello and his partner Carolina Lariera arrives at the facility of the uh, UN campus. It was supposed to be just another workday in Baghdad. Morning schedule was light and de Mello devoted his time to answering emails. He was preparing with his secretary for the following day press interview. And in the afternoon, he was scheduled to have a teleconference with Kofi Annan. And I'm not sure if uh, that took place, the teleconference. Most likely it didn't. Late morning, DeMello met with Khalid Mansour, the spokesman for World Food Program, regarding security and the role of the United Nations in Iraq. The UN team, they wanted to lead... Iraq. They didn't want the uh, coalition forces to lead. Late, later on, the, uh, by midday, Marwan Ali, a United uh, Nations political officer in Demelo's team, pressed in his meeting with his boss about the urge of criticizing the U.S. military act that caused the killing of an eight-year-old Iraqi child along with his mother, and Dibella was to give a speech that evening, that same evening of August 19th, and for the first time to condemn the U.S. military. At 1.30 in the afternoon, the guards and the drivers prepared three vehicles to leave the Canal Hotel. For Sergio Dimello was supposed to go to Green Zone and meet with Paul Bremer and a number of representatives from Washington, such as Senator John McCain, God rest his soul, and Lindsey Graham. Yes, that Lindsey Graham and Harold Ford, but their flight was delayed. Uh, so last minute, Paul Bremer canceled the meeting and DeMello did not leave the facility and remained at the Canal Hotel. Between two and three in the afternoon, DeMello had lunch at the Canal Hotel with his partner, Carolina. At three in the afternoon, DeMello met with a couple of international monetary fund officials Scott Brown and Lorenzo Perez. That same morning of August 19th, and at uh, Baghdad International Airport, two American men, Mr. Gil Losher, an Oxford University researcher in humanitarian studies, and Arthur Helton, a lawyer based in New York City and works for a Council of Foreign Relations. And as you recall, his name was mentioned in the list of the victims who were killed on that day. 
Mr. Halton and uh, Gil Losher, they were scheduled to meet with DeMello at four in the afternoon. And as soon as they landed, they went to the green zone and met with Paul Bremer that morning. And at one point, Bremer told them that the security situation in Iraq is not as bad as, not as, bad as it uh, they hear it in the media. And he sent them on their way to the United Nations headquarters for their meeting with DeMello. But before that, the two men went to the hotel where they were supposed to lodge, but they had some hassles with reservations. I mean, after all, this is Baghdad. But they decided to deal with the problem after the meeting with DeBello. At four o'clock in the afternoon, the two men were sitting in Sergio DeMello's office on the third floor, while beneath and second or first floor, I'm not sure, the director of the UN's Mine Action Service, Martin Barber, was holding a conference meeting. An audiovisual recording was taking place by an Iraqi journalist. At 4.25, while Dumela was in the meeting with the two guests, along with Nadia Yunus, his chief of staff, and Fiona Watson, a truck loaded with explosives drove from a side street and parked under DeMello's office and blew the place up. Arthur Helton, Nadia Yunus, and Fiona Watson were killed instantly. But DeMello and Gil Losher survived the attack. They were both under the rubble, a few feet apart, stuck under heavy blocks of cement. In a documentary about Sergio, Mr. Losher mentioned about the blast. He said that he heard DeMello saying, oh shit, as if DeMello knew who was behind the attack. The first responders to the site were men and women in uniform from the same UN compound. These were 411th Civil Affairs Battalion. If you watch the documentary, Sergio, you'd see clearly a servicewoman running with her M4 that was captain, back then, a captain in the U.S. Army called Caroline Poget, spelled P-O-G-G-E. It's pronounced Poget. Well, and another serviceman called Sergeant William Von Zahol, V-O-N, space Z-E-H-L-E, who in his hometown is a firefighter from Connecticut. He was one of the first responders as well and belonged to 411th Battalion and ran to offer first aid. And somehow he ended up where Mr. DeMello and Gil Losher were both trapped under the rebels. So imagine with me the chaos at the United Nations headquarters after the bombing. People running, trying to find their colleagues, the Iraqi civilians searching for their loved ones, etc. The U.S. military choppers were evacuating injured people, uh, people digging to get Mr. DeMello, who was alive, and uh, uh, Gil Losher. By then it was, let's say, about 5.15, and Mr. DeMello is fully aware, by the way, and it's important possible to save him by moving any big pieces of cement. 
a U.S. serviceman and a medic called Andre Valentin. It was his idea. He came to the rescue, and he, he his idea was to amputate the legs of the two survived men, and that's Gil, Losher, and DeMello. First, the idea was to get Mr. Losher out of the way in order to get to uh, DeMello. But by the time they did this, DeMello was dead. By the time they amputated uh, Gil Losher and they airlifted him, DeMello died. Valentin didn't amputate Sergio's legs. And for me, guys, Sergio DeMello, he's a man either have to live with a complete strong body or he has to die in one piece. That who Sergio DeMello was. You cannot divide Sergio DeMello. You cannot chop him. So let's go back to William von Zehel, the American sergeant who was at the scene. He had many versions of the events that day. One of them that was that DeMello died in his arms and Sergio's last words were, don't let them pull the mission out. And that's the mission of the UN. And by the way, the FBI team, by then, and they, they made it there and the uh, FBI team were led by Tom Fuentes. And uh, the FBI inspected the area and declared that this act was a suicide bomber and Islamic State was behind it. For they found a hand still holding a part of a steering wheel and they said this is a suicide bomber's hand and FBI Chief Tom Fuentes showed the hand to Paul Bremer. And instead of fingerprinting the hand, in Iraq, the hand was sent to Northern Virginia. And by the time it reached the U.S., the hand was decomposed. You guys, I mean, this is not normal. It doesn't take much to fingerprint a hand. Dear God, you're in 2003, guys. Not only the suicide bomber's hand was found at the scene, but something else. And you guys tell me if this is weird or what. Bernie Carrick found the bomber's face. Not his head, but his face. But first, let me tell you about Bernard Carrick and why he was in Iraq to begin with. I'm sure you remember seeing Carrick on TV after September 11th attack. And he was always standing behind Rudy Giuliani's while giving a press conference, he oversaw the police response to the Twin Towers in New York City. For Bernie, he was the commissioner of the New York City Police uh, Department. And after the uh, 2003 invasion, President Bush appointed Carrick as the interior minister of the Iraqi CPA. He arrived Baghdad in May of 2003. Later that year, Carrick was nominated to lead the Department of Homeland Security. However, Carrick later withdrew his candidacy because he had employed an illegal immigrant, a Latina woman, as a nanny for his twin girls from his Syrian wife. Then a 
few years later, he ended up in a federal prison. So Bernie Carrick found the face at the Canal Hotel site after the bombing of the, the face of a suicide bomber, the suicide bomber that had been torn off the skull and, uh, from the impact. And it just happened that Bernie found it. Of all the people who were there that evening, guys, Bernie grabbed the face and looks like a Halloween mask. Then he showed it to Paul Brummer. So here, I have a few questions. If Bernard Carrick found the face of the attacker, what did he do with it? Did he take picture of it? Did he hand it to the FBI team who were at the scene? Or Bernard Carrick is a typical corrupted cop from New York City and he made that story up and perhaps he was never there at the United Nations headquarters on August 19th in first place. Then the question would be, why did he mention this face-finding story in his book? Oh, I could hear the conspiracy theorists that accuse Bernie Carrick of uh, being uh, behind the attacks of September the 11th, saying, he's the same guy that said that he found the hijackers' passports on the streets of New York after the attacks on uh, Twin Towers. <laughs> Enough of this, guys, and let's go back to the United Nations blast. Right before dark, Paul Bremer gave a press interview. The people who did this attacked not the Americans, not even the coalition, and not even just the Iraqi people, but people who were here doing nothing but serving the world. Innocent men and women who were simply trying to make life better every day for Iraqi. These people who did this not only brought down this building, but behind us on the other side was a hospital. It had more than 70 patients in it, a specialized hospital for spinal injuries, which they also destroyed. And the patients there have all had to be evacuated. This is an awful crime. What we must hope now, and what I sense from talking to my friends from the UN who've survived, is that the UN will now continue with even more vigor carry out their wonderful mission of helping the Iraqi people rebuild their country. On behalf of the coalition, I know I express the deep sympathies of all of us for friends and colleagues that we have lost today. And I can tell you we will leave no stone unturned working with the Iraqi police to find the people who did this. By the way, you can see it on YouTube. He's nervous, under pressure, he's licking his lips, Swallowing his saliva, scratching his nose, he does eye contact with the journalists, but his eyes are empty. Really, Paul Bremer? Just like that, huh? You started nicely talking about the UN people, then you shifted your speech about the hospital next door? That's a dog shit, guys. This is not, this is not right. By the end of that long August 19th, and now Sergio de Mello was dead. And the UN workers went back to their rooms at the hotels in disbelief. At that UN compound that night, Sergeant William Vaughan Zahel sat down and wrote a letter to Kofi Annan. These are the Americans, guys. Instead of finding the killer, they wrote speeches and made heroes. On the next episode, I will tell you about the Mercedes-Benz deal and 
William von Zehel. I will tell you who killed DeMello. Was it really a suicide bomber who drove the truck full of explosives and parked it under DeMello's window and blew himself up? Or it was some other group? How was this all planned so well that made it a complete successful mission in this size? Who wanted DeMello killed? All these questions, I'd answer them in the next episode on who killed DeMello. Till then, take care and thanks again for tuning in.